Thank you for downloading and or streaming this new bonus episode of Recasted 2.0. I'm Wayne G, joined as always by Jesse. What's up? What's up, Wayne? Uh, we are behind the scenes for the folks today. We are doing something a little bit different because we do have a recasting of Caddyshack coming up with our friends Movie Wars. Kyle is going to join us and do that. But before we do, we're actually going to give our review of Caddyshack, which I think would be kind of cool for us to start doing is before we do the recasting of a film, we'll talk about the film in depth and a review episode, because I know usually we just skim over it real quick. Yeah, we definitely just get into more of the, the characters that we're looking to recast where we could be missing some critical moments or really just our personal opinion or the impact the movie may have had on us. So I think this is a nice avenue for us to take in between our recastings to go ahead and let people know how much we may have enjoyed the film or may not have enjoyed the film or, or what parts we did love or didn't love. Absolutely. And before we jump into that, just a reminder to the folks, please make sure you are following us on Twitter at Recasted Podcast and on Facebook at Recasted Podcast and join our group, All Things Movies. You can talk movies, TV, or whatnot with us. We also have an Instagram page, but we don't promote it a lot because I check it like once a month. Yeah, I'm not a frequent flyer on the gram. So I got to say, you know, I really just rely on you to float us around as many places as you can. I'm the most active on Facebook, especially on All Things Movies, posting different questions or just different pictures I may see that may interest any of our fans as well as Twitter, I like to go on there and find out some of the newest news and give my opinion on it, as well as kind of get your opinion on it. Excellent. So without further ado, we don't have a whole lot of thanks. We save that for the recasting episode. We don't have a lot of what have you watched lately. Again, we save that. So we're just going to jump right into our movie review. And like all of our movie talk, it's spoiler filled, although this movie came out 40 years ago. So hopefully we're not spoiling it for anybody. This is Caddyshack. I believe this came out in 1980. This is Harold Ramis written. Prior to this, he wrote Animal House, and he also directed this film. This was his first film directing. He later went on to direct Groundhog Day, Vacation, some other movies. And, you know, I wanted to get your thoughts on this film in general. I know we're going to go through in chronological order, but this is the first time you've seen it, and many consider this an American comedic classic. What did you think? Yeah, I think that it was definitely fun. It was not what I was expecting. I expected it to be so much more golf-heavy than it was. And I think while there are some important golf elements and humor in there, it is so much more humor than I expected it to be. I should have expected it from who was in the cast between Bill Murray and Chevy Chase and Rodney Dangerfield, who I'm not a huge fan of, but you know he certainly puts on a show whenever he's on screen. So I wasn't sure what I was expecting, but I had more fun than what I was expecting to have. So really enjoyable film. I think it's definitely a uh, a slapstick, a, a college humor type film. And I could definitely see generations before me having tons of fun with that the way I did with a lot of Will Ferrell's movies. I think so as well. And I wonder if I enjoyed it a little bit more being a golfer myself you know, I don't like a lot of super slapstick stuff, but when I'm on the course, and I mentioned this to you in our chat, is I see a lot of these people, the stereotypical 
people on the course. And so when I would see them in this film, I couldn't help but laugh. Yeah, I think a lot of those stereotypes probably still ring true between, you know, the older folks, the people that play it super serious, the people that want to gamble on every shot. There's a lot of those stereotypes that still ring true. And you being on the course way more often than myself, you can see those comparisons and those parallels. So I'm excited to kind of hear you talk about them as we get into the film. And I know you're going to drop in some bits. So I'm really excited to hear your experiences. Before we get through the chronological rundown of the film, or as our friends over at Shoot the Flick call it, the nitty gritty, I am curious, on a scale of one to five stars or golf balls, whatever we want to call it, what would you give this on a scale of one to five? I would give it a three. Again, it wasn't, you know, my my favorite comedy movie. I, I think it was probably a generation or two before me as far as the SNL cast and just that that cast of characters as far as comedic actors go. Um, I still think there were some funny uh, moments in there, some good humor, but I'm not going to give it, you know, one of my favorite sports movies or one of my favorite comedies, but I think it definitely is a very good movie. I had a hard time rating this one because comedies in general don't rate high because of the fact that they're comedies. So I think that they get underrated a lot. For me, I did have this between three and three and a half. I said, you know, three and a half seemed a little high, and I thought three seemed a little low. So I was at about 3.25. Oh, we were close. Starting this film off, obviously, we get to see the gopher, and he's tearing up the golf course, and then he pops up to do a little dancing to Kenny Loggins. I'm all right. Uh, Is that one of your jams? I enjoyed it. I mean, Kenny Loggins was actually in charge of the entire soundtrack of the film, so he made sure to you know, to start you off with probably one of his better jams there. And that gopher was tearing it up, the golf course and the rug. And uh, it was a good opening. I liked that opening. Right after that, I know it gets us into what seems to be about 16 siblings inside the Danny Noonan household. Yeah, I don't know what's going on in there because he definitely had cousins and things like that. Because I think they mentioned at one point like his aunt or something, and then his mom and his dad are there. And I don't know if they were just visiting, like in Home Alone, or if like literally all those people live there. We don't get to find out because we see them for that that hurried up moment there to start the film, and that is the last time we see any of Danny's family. Now, his dad says you got to save for college. He's got the college jar, and he gives him crap about buying a soda. And at one point he says, you know, he's not going to work in the lumber yard, or he's not going to be a caddy all his life. And it's so 80s to me that your kid has to go to school to have a future. And thinking about it now, if you work in a lumber yard, you probably make 80 grand a year. <laughs> yeah, a lumber yard's a good job. That's a good career right there. You're making way more money than he would be just carrying around someone's golf clubs. But he's certainly not having as much fun. No, not at all. And it's just, like I said, that mindset of, you know, you got to go to college to get the good job where you're sitting in an office. But, you know, it's it's definitely shifted. I think a lot more focus on trade school now. Right. I think it's about kind of getting your foot in the door somewhere. It's not just about having that piece of paper. It's about tenure. I think if you can get that experience, then it's worth just as much as a degree in some cases. And then we get to see the sign for Bushwood Country Club, and it says underneath, private. And like I said, I'm a golfer, so I understand there's resort courses, public courses, and public courses sometimes referred to as municipal courses or munis. And then you've got private courses. And so a private course obviously is you pay a membership fee, only you're allowed to play there. There's no outsiders that are allowed to play on a private course. I think as soon as I saw that sign, Wayne, I knew the type of direction that this comedy film was going to get into, Bush would. (laughs) 
I didn't even uh, make that connection, but it makes sense given the tone of the film. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the start. That's that's the tipping point. And from there, it just starts to get real. I don't want to say grotesque, but certainly there's a lot of humor that you'd expect to hear in a high school locker room. Well, we get to see Danny caddying for Ty Webb, who's played by Chevy Chase, and he's asking him for life advice. And Ty seems to be like a very kind of zen type of guy. He's like, you know, find your center. And he's hitting the golf ball under the green with the blindfold. I like you, Betty. That's Danny, sir. Danny. I'm going to give you a little advice. There's a force in the universe that makes things happen. And all you have to do is get in touch with it. Stop thinking. Let things happen. And be the ball. Yeah, he's like a golfing Yoda. He's one that seems to be very chill. He has very chill vibes. You know, you see him blindfold himself. He even asked Danny if he does drugs. And when Danny says, yeah, he goes, good, good. Why do you want to go to college? <laughs> he says, I don't want to work in the lumber yard. And I think Chevy Chase says, well, what's wrong with the lumber yard? You know, I, I own several. And he's like, have you ever been there? And he goes, I don't even know where they are. <laughs> right. And I think that shows you the amount of wealth that he has. I mean, we're talking about what kind of salary a, a lumber worker would make in this day and age. The fact that at that point in time, he was owning two of them. didn't, it, And they were so he was so out of touch with it. He didn't know where they were. That's the kind of filthy rich that he is. And they introduce these characters very quickly because we get Judge Smales next kind of driving in. He sees the gopher rattling the flag and he immediately confronts the greenskeeper. I finish! Sir! Do you know what I just saw? No, sir. A gopher! Gopher! Where? Do you know what gophers can do to a golf course? Why, sir, I think they're tunneling in from that construction site over yonder. Oh, yeah, he runs across the entire 17th hole just to get to the stereotypical Scottish groundskeeper. And so he can yell at him about the gophers. And then from there, you know, that's where we see the Scottish groundskeeper get right into Bill Murray character's uh, face. And uh, that was probably one of my favorite parts, the, uh, the mix-up between golfer and gopher. I did like that. I even like just the introduction of Bill Murray's character where he's using the ball washer, but he's looking at the old ladies like, oh, yeah. This is Crane. I'm looking at you. You wore green so you could hide. <laughs> I don't blame you. You're a tramp. Oh, that was a good one. Oh, that was right where you wanted it. Yeah, I wasn't sure what he was doing there. I mean, I, 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 I'm I, glad that I saw a ball washer and not him washing his own. But, uh, you know, knowing the, the direction this film was going to take, I wasn't sure what we were going to see. But I do agree with you when he says, you know, we got to kill the gophers. And he's like, no, I'll go to jail for that. And he's like, no, the gophers, the little brown things. He's like, oh, we can do that. We don't even need a reason. <laughs> we, yeah, we can do that. We don't even need a reason. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> so, you know, later we get to see Carl is telling one of the golfies, uh, golfies. <clears throat> Carl is telling one of the golfers a story about him caddying for the Dalai Lama and how the Dalai Lama like said, oh, you're going to have peace on your deathbed or something. And so he's like, I got that going for me. Yeah, and he ends up like, you know, sounding like he's mad at the Dalai Lama at the end. So, I mean, he definitely, he seems traumatized. There's some PTSD for sure. And then we get another character introduction. We get Danny D'Annunzio, and he's caddying for this old couple. He's got a cigarette in his mouth, and the old couple doesn't know what they're doing. They're walking in the wrong direction. They're aiming the wrong way, and he just decides to sit down and have a smoke while they're just swinging their clubs. Right, yeah, the old lady as part of that pair just chips one right into the the water and you know her husband goes, "Oh, good shot, honey." <laughs> and again, I've seen these people on the course, they hold you up all the time. It's the old person who 
after they hit their shot, they might be in the fairway, but they're going to walk off into the woods to try to find lost golf balls with no, you know, idea that there's somebody behind them waiting to hit. They're hilarious. I, that's why I don't golf. I, I don't have the patience for that shit. <laughs> so Denunzio gets back to the clubhouse and or the caddy house, let's say. And he's like, hey, give me a Coke. And it's going to be 50 cents instead of 25 cents. And he's like, I ain't paying 50 cents for no Coke. And I thought, wow, 50 cents for a glass bottle of Coke actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a super deal right there. Uh, you know, you go to the store now, you're paying near $2 for a fancy bottle of Coke like that. And I think that was the point where I thought we were kind of going to get like a rivalry right there. You know, we saw a little bit of heat, and then from then on, the heat really fizzled. I, I thought there was going to be some real potential for those two to have like a budding rivalry throughout the film. But I think what had happened is the bigger stars in the film ended up outshining those two. Yeah, so I think that the real rivalry was between Dangerfield and Smales, or Al Cervic and Smales, more so than it was these two caddies. Cervix? You you don't see that (laughs) sexual joke? (laughs) But uh, we do see them kind of start to fight a little bit because Danny's given grief to Tony, and then Lou shows up and he's like, hey, get out of here. (laughs) Now he's out in in the field, and Tony's like, all right, I'm going to like this. And a fight ensues gumball machine breaks and you know tony or lou is like hey guys you know you want to be replaced by golf carts let's go let's let's no fighting allowed and we find out that the caddy scholarship is back to being available yeah the guy ended up uh dying uh the kid that originally had the scholarship ended up dying because what he choked on his own puke they said something like that i think yeah and I, and I don't know if maybe they were just joking but that sounds horrible but yeah i think that's what opens up the door and opens up danny's eyes for oh this could be my ticket out of the lumberyard and then we get to see how great is this name? So many names in this film, Doctor Beeper, <laughs> and his beeper's constantly going off the entire film. It is, it is, a, it's a bit. Well, we're just about to tee off now, so call the hospital and move my appointment with Mrs. Bellows back thirty minutes. What? Oh, well, uh, just snake a tube down her nose, and I'll be there in four or five hours. I had a doctor who actually would take Fridays off. Like you couldn't schedule with him on Friday because Friday was golf day for him. Hey, when you make that type of money, you can make those type of decisions. Also, we get to see Judge Smales kind of walk in at this point, and he's just being a dick to everybody. And I love actually his grandson Spalding is hanging out in the locker room, and he wants to play tennis. But you know, Smales is like, "You're going to play golf, and you're going to like it." Yeah, you know, for for a judge, he is very dishonorable. You know, you you see him do a lot of stuff that really kind of makes you, uh, you know, wince and and not be stoked. The way he's holding his niece, the way he's yelling at his, his, it's either his grandkid or his son, but it's a very uh, weird dynamic, and he's definitely a hateable character. You could definitely see some villainous vibes from him early on. And then we get probably my favorite exchange in the entire film, which is where Ty comes out of the showers. Ty. What did you shoot today? Oh, I don't keep score, Judge. Oh, well, how do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. You know, you should play with Dr. Beeper and myself. <laughs> I mean, he's been club champion for three years running, and I'm no slouch myself. <laughs> don't sell yourself short, Judge. You're a tremendous slouch. Yeah, he's very straightforward. I loved how we spoke to him throughout the entire film. He's definitely way better than Judge Smales is, and you can tell the judge hates that. It really was uh, probably, you know, my favorite performance from Chevy Chase. Uh, I haven't seen a ton of his, but, you know, because he's from that era that is, you know, really before I started to watch SNL and really see a lot of the breakout performers that became known in comedy movies as I was growing up. 
I didn't see a lot of his work, but this was really funny. I loved how like zen and straightforward and blunt he was. And then we get to hear the annoying horn, the red convertible, and we're introduced to Al Cervic. And uh, he's hilarious. Obviously, he's, he's a walking noise machine. Gloves, shirt, pants. Hey, orange balls. I'll have a box of those. Give me a box of those naked lady tees. And give me two of those. Give me six of those. Oh, this is the worst looking hat I ever saw. Well, you buy a hat like this, I'll bet you get a free bowl of soup, huh? Oh, it looks good on you, though. Yeah, he's immediately starting to poke at him, and it, while he's doing that, he's just flexing. He, he's constantly flexing his wealth. He seems like he's always pulling off a bit, like he's on stage just doing his comedy bit. So, you know, he's got his buddy with the the, uh, the camera there. His assistant was it Mr. Wang or Mr. Yang? I think it's Wang, yeah. Wang, yeah. Again, <laughs> Cervic, Wang, Bushwood. Come on. <laughs> so we get a uh, daddy, a uh, daddy. Danny is going to caddy for uh, Smales because he wants to kind of suck up to him and get that scholarship. And we see the little kid trying to carry a cervix bag, but it's just this huge, like it's bigger than the kid. Right. Yeah. And I, I think the little kid ended up being Tony's little brother. Um, we saw him jump off the roof in that fight that you had mentioned where the gumball machine broke. But yeah, you, know, you end up seeing Danny definitely trying brown nose. He's trying real hard to get that scholarship. And, uh, you know, he uh, he's doing everything he can to impress Judge Smales. And we also see Lacey Underhall kind of coming at this point looking all kinds of hot. I mean, I don't care. It's 1980. Whew, still looking good. Hey, I'll agree with you, Wayne. I mean, I, I was negative nine at the point this film came out. But, oh, man, uh, she it was cold on the course that day. I don't know if you know, <laughs> but uh, it was definitely uh, there was some frigid temps because she, she told me. <laughs> and we find out that she's Smale's niece. She's hanging out with him during the summer instead of being in New York. And she's like, oh, yeah, this is much better than having fun. How, how old do we think she is? You yeah, know, that's a great, great question. It, it does confuse me, Wayne, because, you know, we look at Danny, we look at Maggie, we look at Tony, and these are, to me, 18 to 20-year-olds, people who are coming out of high school in that summer break time, and they're looking to get into college. So I don't know if they're maybe going into their senior year or they're kind of taking a year off between high school and college. But that's what I'm guessing that age range is. And they all look at Lacey as if she's just a touch older. So I don't know if she's like in her mid-20s. Uh, so it, it's kind of weird that she was kind of sent down to stay with Judge Smells. I'm curious to find out. Not, not that we will, but I'm, I'm, that was one curiosity I had throughout watching was how old is she? Um, you know, why is she being sent down there? Um, I think there was a little lack of development there because they really relied more heavily on, the, you know, the heavy hitters comedic wise. Yeah, I got the impression like you did that she's a little bit older. I feel like Danny is in the summer after his senior year, like he just graduated high school and he's trying to figure out how to pay for college. I feel like most of the caddies are in that same boat. So I kind of got the impression that she might be like a junior or senior in college. So let's say 2021 range. Yeah, she was definitely more grown than Maggie. And you can see that everybody at the pool and all the caddies, they definitely were smitten by Lacey and, you know, trying to puff their chests out and you know, trying to uh, look uh, very suave. So I, I, it seems to me that they were, they were all very taken aback by Lacey. And she was, you know, really the star of the show when it came to females during this film. And then we get back to the golf and we see, again, another one of my characters that I see on the golf course, the guy with a hundred waggles before he actually swings the golf club. And, of course, you know, Servant calls him out on it. Let's go while we're young. Do you mind, sir? Trying to tee off? I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. 
okay? You can owe me. I owe you nothing. I owe you nothing. <laughs> yeah, he's constantly poking at the guy. I don't know if he knows immediately that guy's uh, judge's uh, like stature at the club, and he's poking at him for a reason, but he just... He seems like he's immediately aiming for him and just making his life a living hell. Um, it was fun to watch. It was, and I think that maybe he didn't necessarily know his status at the club, but I think Al sees him and he knows what kind of person he is. Right. Yeah, that, that's a good call. And then, of course, we see you know he's got this remote control for his bag that shoots the club way up in the air. The kid doesn't even need to take the club out for him. Yeah, again, flexing his wealth. You know, at any expense, he's going to go ahead and show how much more money he has than other people by doing things like that. And we get to see the judge using what we call in the golfing world, the foot wedge. <laughs> oh, yeah. Again, not so honorable for, for a judge. You know, he doesn't seem to be playing by the rules or doing the most honorable thing. You know, he has Danny turn around so he can kick it. And, you know, you can see him changing his number or saying he has a smaller number when he's, you know, with the other guys um, than what he should have had. Because I think we see Danny actually show that he's like, it was a nine or a ten. Uh, so, I mean, he's de definitely not as good a golfer as he wants to make it out to be. And most golfers aren't. Most golfers are going to talk about how they're a five handicap or a nine handicap. And in reality, they're a 20, you know, because they try to flex. But you, you can tell when you see him out there. And I, I went golfing a long time ago with a guy. And he was like, oh, I'm like a seven handicap. But I look at his driver and immediately knew he was lying because he had an offset driver. What that means is that the head is behind the shaft because he slices it. People with seven handicaps don't slice. Yeah, you know, that's someone who you know really didn't know what he was talking about. You know, you should have went out there and played with him and put some money on it. <laughs> I should have. Um, but this is the scene, again, where we get to see, like you mentioned, Danny is being questioned, like, hey, what did Ty shoot? And I love that Danny confirms. He's like, oh, he doesn't keep score, sir. And so it's true. He just plays for fun. He doesn't actually keep score. Which is awesome. You know, you you love to know that there are some people out there that really just, because in golf, you're playing against the course. You know, you play the same course 10 different times. You're going to get 10 different scores. So, you know, that that's the beauty of that sport is, you know, you're not really playing against somebody. You're playing against the course. Um, but you could be playing against other people and add that extra layer. But yeah, he's just out there playing for the passion of it. And he just, he wants to, you know, have fun. And he's obviously very, very good at it. And then Danny tells the judge Smales, he's like, hey, just kick it out a little bit further, sir. And the judge goes, uh, yes, winter rules. <laughs> and I thought it was like it's the middle of summer. <laughs> yeah, just any little, any little thing he can do to improve his positioning. And then, of course, uh, Al yells, four. And hits uh, Smales right in the nuts with a drive. And he's like, oh, I should have yelled too. <laughs> hits him right in the sack. <laughs> and then uh, Tony asks him, he says, what do you have, rocks in this bag? Are you kidding? When I was your age, I would lug 50 pounds of ice up five, six flights of stairs. So what? So what? So let's dance. Oh, yeah, you're a big Journey fan. I bet you got up and started dancing as well. I danced just like Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> That's never good. <laughs> so then we have Smale saying, you know, music is a violation of personal privacy. He's breaking the law. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I hate those types of people. When I play basketball, anybody who's getting ticky-tacky about 
things or, you know, making things up just to improve their vantage point or their game. You know, those people can be very annoying to be around or to play against. And, you know, you could sense that he was very bothered by anything that wasn't complete silence or him being able to improve his game. So he just, he really was able to show how his annoyance was going to be highlighted throughout the film. And then Danny tries to put the moves a little bit on Smales here, saying that he wanted to go to law school, but that, you know, he, his parents can't afford it. And the judge says, well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Yeah, he knew to drop a line, but the judge was re- wasn't, you know, ready for any sympathy, especially after, you know, the type of day he was having on the course. And I think that's where we see Lacey walk up and say, nice try. And then we also have Carl. We're going back to him and he's spraying water down into the gopher hole and it's spraying up all over the course. I'm going to drown you with about 150,000 gallons. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> uh, so, and, and this was just such a foreshadowing of the troubles he's going to have with this gopher. Yeah, and, and I mean, watching that little documentary or that extra bit that they have online, I actually was catching it on YouTube called The 19th Hole. So much of Bill Murray's entire you know portion of that film was ad-libbed, and they were showing that they would just let him just riff, and then they would, they would say cut when they felt like they needed to, but... He, he definitely ad-libbed that portion with the hose, and so he was so funny. And, I mean, the way he looked, you know, with the sweat stains and the the 5 o'clock shadow and his face like that, and just the way he was, he was, he was a bit crazed. And then we see that Cervic is building condos next to the golf course, so he's obviously a big, rich real estate investor. And then it gets over to Judge Smales. It's at the turn, what we call it, after you've played nine holes. Before you play the back nine, you're at the turn. And they're getting something to eat. I want a hamburger. No, a cheeseburger. I want a hot dog. I want a milkshake. I want potato You'll chips. You'll get nothing and I can. Yeah, the grandson is definitely, you know, the punching back throughout the film. You know, we, we see him get yelled at several times, whether it's the locker room, the golf course. So it definitely a bit of a sympathetic character. Uh, just a tad, because, you know, I, I end up putting some money on later on when they're putting money on if he's going to pick his nose or not. But, yeah, definitely a funny scene uh, by the judge there to, to yell at him. You know, you can see he gets very enraged very quickly. I think anger management may be in line for Judge Smales here. And it's such a funny line to me that my sister one year for Christmas got me a T-shirt that she saw somewhere. I don't know where she saw it, but it was in Connecticut. And it says on the front, it says Connecticut State Lottery. You'll get nothing and like it. <laughs> And I'm sure you loved it. I think it's a great shirt and so fitting for the lottery. <laughs> That's perfect. I mean, all the time you scratch and scratch and scratch. We now get introduced to Maggie O'Hooligan, who is Danny's girlfriend, and she's got some Irish accent for some reason. She's the only person in the film with an accent. I got to work in the dining room tonight. Come work with me. You can bust tables. Never done that. It's easy. You fill the water glass. You replace the butter. If they drop a fork, you give them another one. I don't think I can handle that. <laughs> Right, yeah, it's it's not explained. Again, I think they spent um, little time on the younger folks in the film and really let the heavy hitters do most of the lifting. So we have no idea why she had an accent, whether she was an exchange student, whether her family moved. We have no idea why. We need, we just know that her and Danny are some type of item. But I don't know how to really explain it because, you know, at, you know later on, I, I don't want to give it away. You'll, you'll get to it. But, I mean, they, they seem to be some type of item. But, yeah, I agree with you. There's, there's some questions as to why she's the only one with any bit of accent in the entire film. And then we get 
Judge Smales and again Al kind of running up to the or walking up to the green and saying, "I bet you a thousand dollars you missed that putt." And now the people are crowding around as he, Judge feels the pressure, misses the putt, and throws the uh, the putter on onto the. I think it's like a, a deck of some sort and hits a lady. Yeah, it's like a patio. I'd say it looks like people are sitting there having a meal. Even though gambling is illegal, you could see how popular you know that conversation um, was happening. Uh, you know, people were definitely crowding around, and when he throws it and hits somebody. Danny looking to stick his nose further up the, the judge's buns and brown nose. He went ahead and took the fall. He went ahead and said that he threw it and, and judge took him aside. And I think that's where he started to, you know, really consider Danny for the scholarship. It was at that point. Yeah, because he tells him, he said, there's more important things than grades like winning the caddy championship. Right. And, you know, that's where he knows he's going to have to be, you know, the caddy for the judge, you know, later on in the film. And then we see Crazy Carl, like, cleaning his gun, getting ready to go out there. And he's got, like, a flashlight on his rifle. He's going to just go hunt this gopher at night. Yeah, again, you know, some PTSD. He's, like, a, a war-torn vet. You know, he's definitely having some trauma. And we have a fancy ball going on. Uh, Danny's waitering or waiting to try to make a little bit of extra money. Lacey seems like she's into Danny. Like, he's putting the extra butter on the table, and she's kind of giving him the uh, the goo-goo eyes. Yeah, Lacey seemed like she was into just about anybody who was going to give her the goo-goo eyes. Uh, you know, we... <laughs> We saw her, you know, with Tony. We saw her with Danny. Um, yeah, she definitely gets around in her short time while she's away with her uncle. And Al is there, of course, entertaining his friends, and everyone's laughing at him, but Smales is the table below them, and he's getting annoyed. And when uh, Al comes down the steps and he sees Smales' wife, and he's like, Oh, this is your wife. Oh, a lovely lady. Hey, baby, you're all right. You must have been something before electricity, huh? <laughs> okay. Yeah, he again, it seems like he's just he's doing a stand up comedy routine the entire time he's on screen. He's going from person to person and, and making jokes. And, you know, there are some aspects of that, that that came off as funny and some that were like, oh, goodness, Rodney Dangerfield enough. But <laughs> that's just who he is at all times. I don't think he was able to turn it off. But, you know, he definitely, you know, frustrated the judge as he made his way down to that table. And, you know, was talking about how, you know, it, it looked like it was a graveyard uh, with how, the age of everybody down there. Again, just doing anything and everything he can to rile up the judge. It was more funny than it was annoying. Yeah, and then we hear uh, Maggie tell Danny that Lacey's the biggest whore on Fifth Avenue, and he seems like, oh, really? That sounds good Good to know. Right, yeah. We end up finding out it's true. <laughs> because we also see Ty shows up at the, the party, and he sees Lacey there. They go out, and they start flirting and, and talking uh, sexually on the patio. And this is what also makes me think that she's around 21, because if she's like 17, 18, it makes us really creepy. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, well, I mean, again, we start off the film by seeing her nips. Let's go ahead and say she's over 18, Wayne. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say I'd like to hope that she's in like her early 20s. Um, I just think there's certainly a, a couple year gap between her and the other, you know, younger folks, the other teens that we see in the film. And then we see while everyone's outside or while they're dancing, Spalding's pounding everyone's drinks. And then uh, he pukes through Dr. Beeper's moonroof. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Beeper, you know, small bits on the film, but he, he was uh, funny and having that thing go off. Definitely a, a funny little character. The next day we see Ty talking with Danny and Ty is telling the story about the roommate that he used to have that got kicked out of school for putting with the dean's daughter. Although we got the impression he was talking about himself. Yeah, I definitely think it was uh, a friend I know. He makes a bunch of ridiculous putts in a row, like one between his legs, one without looking. Yeah, he's, he's really, really good. And then we get to the 35th annual caddy tournament, and Tony has the ugliest swing I've ever seen. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, he looked to be the most athletic of the caddies, but I'm not sure what type of athlete he was because he did not put any type of practice into what he was doing uh, on the golf course uh, because, yeah, it was not a good flow. It was not a good-looking swing at all. Um, you could tell that some of them, you know, like, like Chevy, he actually looked like he was pretty good. Um, he knew what he was doing. But, yeah, I agree with you, Tony. He, I can't remember the actor's name, but uh, not a good show. No. And then we get the final hole, and Danny's trying to hit the game-winning or the tournament-winning putt, and everyone's yelling, Noonan, Noonan, which is kind of a famous line. People still do that, but it made me think of kind of how basketball copied that a little bit with the Steve Perry, another journey reference, when they would be like, Steve Perry, as somebody was shooting. Steve Perry, Steve Perry, and I should have been gone. Yeah, I've only seen basketball once. I'm not a huge South Park fan, so I know those are the guys that made South Park, so... Uh, I'm not sure I connect as much with their comedy, but I've seen it at least once. And um, the the Noonan uh, chant uh, was definitely something that, you know, you'd think would have rattled him. Yeah, and he just didn't, just bangs in the putt. And then the judge says, hey, you know, uh, why don't you come over and mow my lawn? And then after that, come to the Yacht Club. Oh, yeah, you know, come do me a favor now that, you know, you're, you're trying to brown nose me, which I think he knows. Um, and then, you know, let's, let's you you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. And Danny celebrates the victory by having sex with Maggie. Right, yeah. I mean, he. this is where we see there's something between those two. Yep. And you get uh, Tony's trying to look in the window while they're having sex. <laughs> yeah, and then asks about it after. Hey, how was it? And she goes, how was what? And goes, uh, it couldn't have been that great then. <laughs> so, so cheesy. It's such an 80s thing to say. <laughs> right. I mean, that's where it's like, you know, you can see there's like a little bit of like teenage rivalry between those two where they're like really competitive um, and they must have been aiming for the same girl at that point. But then as soon as Lacey got on screen, they, those two started to compete for her. And then we get the caddies and everybody kind of raising hell at the pool. And we get to see Lacey in her bathing suit, even though it's a one piece, you know, everyone's like, you know, drooling. And then we get like a weird synchronized swimming scene. <laughs> Yeah, that was the most odd scene uh, in the movie, I think, because it just didn't fit. Like, how did these... That's, like, what I dislike about... Not that this is one, but musicals in general. It's like, how did all these people on the street just know to start dancing to this one song? So, like, in the movie, like, it had a a very organized and structured vibe within such a very, like, ad-libbed and comedic movie that it just didn't seem to fit as much. But, yeah, I mean, they were running wild. I mean, you could see, I think it was Smell's wife who was just screaming you know they really need to leave i don't know what type of like little window of fun they got to have but you know you definitely saw a, a few sets of booblies and you know we saw uh we saw something in the pool that ended up having to make sure the pool got evacuated when i was just gonna say what great product placement for baby ruth right yeah yeah and the girl right there said that she uh never played golf after that or never ate chocolate after that one of those two um i, I should have known more precisely but it was one of she was like scarred after that scene we get, you know, they want the whole pool scrubbed and drained, and then Carl takes a bite of the baby, Ruth. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> Lacey goes over Ty's house. Uh, they go swimming. He gives her a massage. I'm assuming they have sex. They never really show it, but, you know, it gets very oily in there. Yeah, there, there's some steam involved. It's it's very Titanic in the car-esque, you know, with, with the amount of steam that I was feeling. And then that goes to Danny, who's dressed up like a captain at the yacht club, and uh, he's introduced to Chuck, who I guess is Smale's like assistant attorney or something like that. And uh, Lacey's like, "Hey, let's get some drugs and whatever." And uh, the judge gives a corny poem, and then uh, Lacey is licking Danny's hand. 
Yeah, she just can't get enough. I don't know. If, I think she ended up coming over and uh, she was high at the time, or uh, maybe that was uh, at a different point in the film, but she's definitely wild. She's living her very best life while she was out there with her uncle. And then we get, again, Al kind of going 100 miles per hour on the lake, and he's just knocking people over, knocking over stands, and then you know almost crashes into the judge's boat and instead drops his anchor right to the middle of the boat. And then, of course, we get the great sex scene between Danny and Lacey, and uh, Smales walks in on them. Yeah, and that was hilarious. You know, he's trying to run around and not get hit. And then, you know, of course, after that, we get the the meeting inside Judge Smales' office, uh, his uh, office room, and you got that light um, lamp that's on the table in between them, and he ends up getting so mad and enraged, he throws it off the table. So, yeah, definitely a hilarious scene right there. And uh, like I mentioned, Lacey gets around. Which is fine. Like, like, if I'm Danny, same thing. I'm like, oh, good to know. Yeah, and I didn't mind seeing more of her. You know, she was definitely <laughs> she was definitely someone that I don't think we saw in films enough after this, um, but she, she left her mark. And then we get the iconic scene, Cinderella story, with Bill Murray with the uh, the weed whacker or whatever it is, and he's, and he's chopping the mums. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere to lead the pack. Bad Augusta, he's on his final hole. He's about 455 yards away. He's going to hit about a two iron, I think. When we got all of that, the crowd is standing on its feet here at Augusta. The normally reserved Augusta crowd going wild. Yeah, and uh, during that, that, that 19th hole, it was... Uh... The, the director, Harold Ramos, who said, you know, Bill, I really just want you to go ahead and start talking like you're a sportscaster. Go ahead and, and talk yourself through this like we all have when we're playing any type of sport. And he goes, gotcha. No need to say anything more. And right from there, he's, you know, he's, you know, hitting the hitting those mums. And it was a really hilarious scene. Absolutely. And then he's approached by the priest who's like, hey, let's go out and play uh, some golf here, even though it's about to start raining. And uh, he's having the round of his life and then misses a putt in the last hole and gets struck by lightning. <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely funny. And have you seen that guy? The guy that's super dedicated. He'll play through whatever. Um, I'm that guy actually, and <laughs> I uh, went out golfing one day. It was kind of raining, and the golf course was actually closed. And I feel like I knew it was closed, but I was 21, so whatever. And I walked up to it, and the gate was open, so I just walked in. I checked the clubhouse. There was nobody in the clubhouse, so I walked out to the first tee. Uh, hit a great drive, hit my second shot onto the green. I two-putted for a par. And as I was walking off the green, this guy in a truck drives by, and he goes, hey, what the hell are you doing? The course is closed. And I was like, oh, there was nobody here. I, I just thought it was okay to play. I, I didn't know I, could, I couldn't I could do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's see where we at here. So, okay, so right after this, then we get Maggie telling Danny that she's pregnant and she's going to keep the baby and Danny proposes to marry her, and she's like, you know, not having it. And she also says it couldn't be – there's a chance it's not yours. So that's where it's like, are they a thing or not? I think they are. I think she was just saying that so that he wouldn't feel obligated to propose. Okay, because it just seemed like there maybe there was some more, like, loosey-goosey and, like, fluidity with, like, relationships back then where it's like maybe she did sleep around a couple times. Maybe it was okay for him to sleep around a couple times because, I mean, he seemed to, like, not really show much guilt towards Maggie, like, after – you know, laying the pipe with Lacey, there wasn't really a, oh man, I really, 
I, I really shouldn't have done that. It was, uh, oh, no, quickly, to, I'm going to propose. From there, it didn't really seem like, you know, we saw Maggie again. No, well, we see her a little bit later when she's not pregnant because she's dancing on the course or whatever in her nightgown. Oh, yeah, touche. But, yeah, so we get the meeting in Smale's office, and he says, you know, are you my pal, Mr. Scholarship winner? Right, what a turn of events. That's not what he expected to hear. <laughs> and then we've got the bishop has denounced God, and he started drinking, and uh, Al threatens to buy Bushward. He's like, I'll just buy this course. <laughs> buy Bushward? <laughs> And so they go back to Smale's office to work everything out. And then we get Maggie dancing on the green, which I was, yeah, I could have gotten rid of that scene. I've been fine. And then Al says he's going to challenge Smale's $10,000. And if they do teams, they can make it $20,000, 10 each. And so Smale starts talking to Ty, right? And he's like, oh, you know, I grew up with your dad. We were best friends and all this other stuff. You know, Judge, <laughs> my dad never liked you. I'll see you two tomorrow morning on a golf course. Yeah, I love that line. You know, he was, he was very chill, calm vibes, and, and again, he was so blunt about it. Like, you know what? I'm ready to give you, you know, what you what you didn't expect. And then we get Carl again making plastic explosives, like C4 animals that look like bunny rabbits and, you know, squirrels and things to try to trick the gopher. I have to laugh. <laughs> because I've often asked myself. By foe, my enemy is an animal. And in order to conquer him, I have to think like an animal and whenever possible to look like one. And we see the gopher spying on him, which is weird. Like the gopher knows what he's doing. Yeah, that little mechanical gopher was definitely weird. Yeah, you know, it was like a little side plot. And then we get uh, Ty is out practicing and getting drunk and it's nighttime. He hits a ball into Carl's shack. And Carl talks about how he's created this new type of grass that you can put on it in the morning and then you can smoke it in the afternoon. You can play 36 holes on it and then go back and get stoned. Yeah, they, they had mentioned that they were halfway through making that movie um, and they realized that they didn't have a scene with Bill Murray and Chevy Chase in it. So they had to go ahead and go have lunch, those two, and Harold Ramis and, and uh, kind of think of something. And, and when they did, they came back and had that scene put together. So... You know, him playing in into, uh, you know, Carl's little hut and uh, having to play the ball from there and then uh, taking a, a drink and, and getting a little high, and, you know, and makes a comment about how Carl's place is, is really a trash pit. <laughs> to even to this day, I, I still, when I'm drinking from time to time, I'll say, cannonball it. <laughs> yeah, he's handing it to him. <laughs> oh, no, I, I really shouldn't. Here, take a seat. I don't want to sit down. I want to stick to anything. <laughs> And then the next morning, we've got Al is driving his car on the golf course. And, uh, you know, the judge is like, get that car out of here. And Chevy Chase is like, oh, yeah, let me just figure out how to move it. When the judge walks away, he just gets out of the car. Yeah, yeah. He's like, get that steering wheel over here. And he's like, no, I'm just going to step out of it. <laughs> and then he slams his hand in the door. And I thought it was like, oh, no, is he going to be injured? And, you know, somebody's going to have to play for him. Yeah, you didn't know if that was going to lead to something. Yeah, we do see that uh, Danny is caddying for Smales because Chevy Chase asks him for a club, and he's like, sorry, I, you got the big, tall, dorky guy. Yeah, puts his head down. Carl's planting his explosives, and of course, you know, the judge is cheating during this tournament, and Danny just has to look away while he does it. Carl is so focused on killing these gophers that he has legitimately no idea what's, what's being played on the golf course. <laughs> Everybody else on the golf course is running to go see what's happening. They're following from hole to hole. But Carl is so focused on killing me and doing his job. Bill Belichick would love Carl because he's doing his job and he stays so focused that, you know, he, you know, he makes those little explosives and he makes his way around the golf course. 
And then we get the turn, and it is seven to two. The judge is up, and this is where we get the scene where they're betting on uh, his grandson picking his nose and eating it. Yeah, very gross. You know, you have the uh, you know that large crowd behind the bush there, and like I'll give you ten bucks if he picks his nose, <laughs> and then I'll give you ten bucks if he eats it. And they're like <laughs> cheering him on as he's doing it. It was definitely a disgusting scene. And Al says, uh, "Hey, let's make it eighty thousand dollars per team." And uh, Danny tells Ty, he's like, hey, Smales is cheating. Before, he was cheating. Nobody likes a tattletale, Danny. Except, of course, me. Right. right. <laughs> I, I'm glad that second part came, because as soon as he said, nobody likes a tattletale, Danny, I was like, oh, is he pissed at Danny? <laughs> Except for me. I was like, oh, nice, nice. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Rodney Dangerfield gets hit in the arm with the ball, not very hard, but he's like, my arm's broke. And he's just trying to get out of it, but they're like, nope, somebody has to play for you. And so... Uh, Ty is like, all right, Danny, why don't you play for him? And uh, we'll be teammates. Uh, I think the judge doesn't like that. But Danny at this point is like, hey, to hell with the scholarship. I'm going to play on Ty's team. Right. Yeah, it was more about his relationship to Ty. I'm sure, you know, if, if he felt any. Because I think at that point we see, uh, you know, maybe not at that point. It was a little bit further where we see Al say he's going to make it worth it. He's going to make it worth his while if, if, if Danny ends up playing for him because of his arm injury. So. You know, I think that's why he's like, you know what? I don't need this scholarship. I don't need this corny relationship with the judge. I already got to, you know, taste the juice from his niece. So I'm going to go ahead and take this money and have more fun with Ty Webb. Absolutely. And then, of course, at the last hole, they up it to $80,000 per person if Danny can make the putt. And we get your favorite line. Well, we're waiting. (laughs) Yeah, definitely a great one. Memorable for sure. And Danny's ball kind of sits on the edge a little bit, and then Carl detonates all the explosives, and the ball falls in. Yep, you can. I can is it the doctor that watches the ball fall in, or no, the uh, uh, the caddy manager guy? Right, right. I was gonna say, yeah, we, we definitely see someone kind of standing there, keeping their eye on it the whole time that the explosives are happening. And then once it falls in, the crowd goes wild. Now, here's a golf fact: is that when you're playing real golf, if the ball is sitting on the edge like that, you only have ten seconds. And if you don't hit the ball in within 10 seconds, you get a penalty stroke. Wow. And then, of course, the end of the movie, we're back to the gopher dancing to Kenny Loggins. And uh, and how is Caddyshack 2, Wayne? Is it something worth recasting or even watching? It is not worth rewatching. I would rather watch Major League 2 than Caddyshack 2. I was, I was going to bring that up immediately. I was going to say, what's worse, Major League 2 or Caddyshack 2? Oh, Caddyshack 2 is absolutely awful. Uh, we get the groundskeeper in that one is Dan Aykroyd. And uh, it's just so bad. And it's funny because they did a Nike commercial years ago where they were asking caddies like fluff in them. They're like, hey, what's the best movie about caddies? And they'd be like, Caddyshack. They're like best performance by a gopher. I'm like, oh, Caddyshack. And then at the very end of the commercial, like at the 28 second mark, they go, what's the worst movie about caddies? And they go, Caddyshack 2. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I already feel like I know the answer to this, but what's going to be worse, Caddyshack 2 or White Men Can't Jump 2? Oh, my God. I don't even want to think about that movie right now. I did see that you would say, was it Jack Harlow is going to be in it? Oh, now, here's he's, a, he's a rapper. Yeah, so here's the thing is that they didn't say who he's going to be. They just said he's going to be in it. So I'm hoping with all of my heart that he's just like a spectator or maybe somebody who plays against them. I don't want him to play the Billy Hoyle role. Oh, I'm pretty sure he's a star. I, I don't want to hear that right now. <laughs> we'll see as it comes i know uh, how near and dear that movie is to you so i, I mean it's it, it's sacrilege to even consider putting somebody like that who doesn't have that type of resume or clout in that role so 
Uh, hopefully it doesn't come into fruition uh, in your mind. Hopefully it does for me so I can watch you squirm and hate it. <laughs> well, I know that he's not, or I guess he's good at basketball, but like that shouldn't matter because we heard from, remember we interviewed Silk Kozar, who was amazing, by the way, a friend of the show. And uh, Silk said that Wesley Snipes couldn't play basketball. Yeah, I mean, he had to teach Wesley Snipes. So, I mean, uh, de- definitely uh, think that, you know, it may come down to uh, who your friends are. Like like it is in the NBA these days, it's who's your friends. And, you know, I think it's uh, being co-produced by Blake Griffin maybe. So it's uh, who are your pals and uh, what can they do for you? So we'll see what type of role he has in the film. And, uh, you know, uh, this was a fun experience when just being able to talk about the film and kind of flesh it out before we actually get into a more competitive recast with Kyle. I think he's got a lot of experience going uh, head-to-head with two movies, two great movies um, in their catalog. So excited to bring him along and, and have another uh, you know, non-sexual three-way um, on, our, our, on our podcast. Yeah, I will say without spoiling it, folks, Kyle's going to get a beat down. <laughs> yeah, it seems like anytime we bring someone on, you know, um, we end up kind of beating them down. So uh, we'll see how it turns out. I don't want to give anybody any sneak peeks. Definitely let us know if you guys like this. Obviously, it's a shorter episode. You, know, If you like us reviewing the movie before we do the recasting, I'm not going to lie. Whether you like it or not, it's what we're going to be doing. <laughs> but I think that it's a really cool idea, and hopefully you guys really enjoy this kind of episode. Yeah, I mean, what's good about it is a lot of the movies that we end up doing, um, either I haven't seen before or I haven't seen in a very long time. So it's good for us to be able to talk about it get some of our thoughts about it, you know, and I think maybe we can kind of just grow in this as well, like we have with our normal recast episodes. We'll, we'll grow in this and know that, you know, we can talk more about, hey, you know, when's the first time you watched this one? What were your thoughts when you first watched it? What did you think when you watch it now? Um, so, I mean, we can get into more of that, but this was definitely a, a fun, you know, kind of pilot episode for our movie review. And with that, we'll get it out of here on Kenny Loggins, I'm All Right.